Hello, everybody, and welcome to Law Dogs. Welcome to our premiere episode. Law Dogs is a brand new podcast. It's being created by law enforcement officers, current and prior. And we hope to give our perspective on today's issues covering any and all topics of law enforcement and even some everyday topics. I guess in a way you could call this a cop show because it's by cops for cops and those that support cops. Um, in full disclosure, this intro was recorded after the actual episode was taped. Um, it was the episode we have is actually the second attempt. There's a little technical difficulties on the first attempt that I'm sure you'll notice. So, uh, without any further ado, here we go. Do you really think you have a chance against us, Mr. Cowboy? Yippee-ki-yay, motherfucker. I'm a hero of the new world! Disease, and I'm the cure. Better alive, you're coming with me. You got the right to. Come here. Come here. You got the right to. Suck my dick, motherfucker. Fuck yourself. I'm tired from fucking your wife. How's your mother? Good, she's tired from fucking my father. Hey, you want to be a farmer? Here's a couple of acres. Bad boys, bad boys. What you gonna do? What you gonna do when we come for you? All right, you can take your cash, but we need the wallets. We want it all. Hurry. Oh, come on. Let us keep the driver's licenses and the snapshots. And our badges. Shit. Would you ever touch a black man's radio, boy? Oh, the power of Grayskull. Go ahead. Make my day. We Jump Street, and we're about to jump in your ass. Mm-hmm. Right in the crack. It is definitely recording. Are you sure? I see it counting like it does when it records. I'm not sure what happened last time. I'm sure it was operator headspace and timing. I'm sure it wasn't. I'm editing all this out when I do this later. We're still recording, so three, two, one. Hi, I'm Corey. And this is Dez. All right, uh, jumping right in. Uh, first topic uh, of a this brand new podcast about law enforcement should be last year and all the attacks on law enforcement. Uh, Coming off a pretty bad year, 2016. We did. We did quite a few uh, mass police shootings. And by mass police shootings, I mean that law enforcement was the target of those shootings. Yeah. Um, a lot more uh, as far as gunfire um, spike in law enforcement uh, shootings, law enforcement deaths. Um, you know, mostly the statistics are death, so it doesn't even count officers who were wounded. Um, most of my stats I get, I'm sure a lot of you guys probably know, but, uh, ODMP, Officer Don Memorial page, I use that to, uh, kind of keep track mm-hmm. of things across the, uh, across the country. Um, but I think, uh, unfortunately, uh, you deserve some credit. It isn't credit that you want, but uh, you did a little time in a sandbox across the way in a different type of uniform. And I remember when you came back, you, you told me that it was only a matter of time before the tactics that were employed over there were going to be employed over here. And unfortunately, again, not the kind of uh, 
pat on the back that you want, but uh, they've starting with this Dallas shooter who unfortunately the ship bag showed other people the way that uh, if you snipe uh, somebody when the other good guys run in to save them, you can get more of them. And, you know, and that's, we as law enforcement as a profession, we run to the sound of gunfire. And, you know, if your buddy's laying there on the ground, it's, you're going to run up to him. Uh, And unfortunately, we're going to have to possibly change some of our tactics and our training on that. Uh, And, you know, talking, you know, being overseas, that, that was in the middle of 2000s there. And I felt that tactics over there were going to wind up over here and subsequently they did for for some of it uh and and i recall back in 2009 i think it was that uh i had seen a a memo from another department uh preaching that there's a new suspect out there and that you know their tactics are changing and that our tactics are changing and uh it's happened it's it's current now uh the, the law enforcement of the days gone by are just that. They're gone. Well, I mean, I think if you look historically, um, a, lot of, a lot of military guys, when they come back, would become cops. I remember Vietnam, you know, guys would come back from the military and they would become cops and they would bring those tactics with them and then they would teach the other guys who maybe weren't in the military or they were familiar with the tactics, or even nowadays, maybe military guys not becoming law enforcement, but they're at least um, sharing those tactics with law enforcement. So in one way, it's a good thing because they're testing out real-world tactics in a life-or-death battlefield environment and kind of getting an idea of what works and what doesn't work, and they're teaching the good guys, law enforcement, the tactics. But unfortunately... And I guess it was only a matter of time. Uh, the ship bags, the bad guys, picked up on some of these tactics, either of the of the of the uh, insurgents or the enemy or whatever, and they're using it using those tactics against us. So they're learning too. Yeah, and we have to keep pace with that, uh, you know. And I can say that as, as far as some of the departments. They are. They're attempting to keep pace with that. Uh, I know that for the department that I'm on that we've tried to increase that tactical knowledge. Uh, but I think that we're always going to be one step behind. Probably. I'd I, rather not. I mean, well, I guess it's just, it's kind of um, if you don't know you have a problem, how do you address it? I mean, you could try to... V- you can try to think of different scenarios, but it's like, I guess, if you have a basement, if you don't know that the walls are going to leak in three years, are you going to take measures to stop the leak? You don't have a leak, so you don't know what the problem is. And unfortunately, this this piece of shit oxygen thief down in Dallas, um, he kind of lit the way for other people because he, he shot uh, one of the good guys. He shot a cop, and he knew... That if he waited, that human nature is going to take over. I mean, if one of our buddies was shot prior to this and prior to reminding us of this tactic that they're going to use, you're going to probably rush in. You you might scan the area real quick. There's no guy standing over with a gun. There's no guy, you know, running away with a gun. But you rush in to check to say, hey, man, is Joe okay? What the fuck? 
and then he shoots you because he's hiding and he's waiting. I mean, it's it's just it's human nature. You know, we want to we run to conflict, we run to gunfire, and we also want to run to help people and especially our buddies. Yeah, and we're one of the few that do actually run to the sounds of gunfire. Uh, so, and you know, it, thinking back to to the military standard, so to speak, uh, there was the five and twenty five searches where you know before you stepped outside of your vehicle, you did a a visual search of the five meters around your vehicle and then once you got out of it you did a 25 and after you did that 25 i think it was 200 or 300 visually you did all this and you're looking for things and you're constantly being aware Uh, and i think for law enforcement unfortunately sometimes we get that tunnel vision into what we're doing and that we need to train to get out of that Uh, i know that my current department we're actually doing some training and advancing in training where we're doing multiple disciplines of training where we're going from, you know, hands-on defensive tactics into, you know, firearms and then straight into first aid, rendering that first aid. So we're breaking some of those training scars and getting rid of some of those training scars of bad habits. I think it's a good thing because I think, unfortunately, most police departments unless they're changing it like this which is good is that you, you go in your defensive tactics today or whatever you want to call it hand-to-hand combat whatever you want to classify it as and that's all you're working on you maybe you might work on handgun retention maybe but you're working on you know engaging a guy physically then you go to the range and you're at the range and it's, and it's all about safety and it should be um but you're you know you're practicing drawing your gun and shooting and, you know, doing all that stuff and then reholstering. And then maybe first aid is just, all right, if, if you have refreshers and, and I don't, you know, other than your basic CPR. And remember we, we did CPR and Heimlich Maneuver and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but that was, that's all I remember for first aid uh, every couple of years. But, I mean, you didn't put them together. It wasn't, and I mean, you can train your skills separately. I mean, I guess professional fighters, Look at the world of MMA. I guess I'll use it as an example. They'll train maybe jiu-jitsu over here, boxing over here, you know, whatever over here. And then maybe you put together at some point, and I guess that's the idea behind this, but you do show up with a mentality at training if you're at DTs or firearms or, or first aid or whatever your training is. But I, I do like that. They should be putting it together. That way you're not you're not running to that wall of, oh, I'm fighting this guy, I'm fighting this guy, oh, shit, he's got a knife, oh, shit, he's got a gun, now I need to go to deadly force. And, and you know, there's guys that work it out, obviously, because it's happened all these years, and, you know, cops have had to shoot people after scuffling with them, but to bring it all and to get it ingrained in your head, I think that's a good thing. Yeah, no, it is, it is. Uh, and, I don't know, I lost my train of thought there, sorry. That's all right, Trains derail sometimes. Yeah, they do. Um, but it, it must be old age. It, I'm sure it is. I, but yeah, it's just. But unfortunately, it's reactive. It, it, it had to be. It's. But I don't know. I mean, how, how do you be proactive? How do you think of? I mean, there's, you can think of crazy scenarios, but until, and maybe it's just human nature. Until it happens and it gets ingrained in someone's head. I mean, I remember vaguely talk in the academy where we meet where we met and you looked up to me as of course of course um someone mentioning something 
one of her instructors about if a, if a buddy is downed and there's a sniper, you know, you don't just charge in because that's what the sniper's doing. He's looking for bait. Some, I remember a passing statement by one of the instructors in the academy all those years ago, you know, going on two decades. But that was it. It wasn't like something that was drummed into your head. Hey, man, hey, man, hey, man. It was always, you know, sweep the situation when you're walking up looking for a threat. But it was never, and I think, unfortunately, it took this Dallas shooting and then the other one, Louisiana, for cops to, you know, guys out, men and women out there working to be like, oh, shit. That's right, I got you know, got this, this crazy shit happening. Well, and, you know, the, I feel, looking in, in the past, that the threat has kind of changed a little bit. I mean, we never really expected to be sitting around having coffee, the four of us, and somebody come in and shoot and kill all four of us. Yeah. You know, or in Dallas, you know, here we are protecting a protest. Against police. Against police. We're protecting the protest against police, and, you know, this shooting happens. Or, you know, uh, ambushes on police. Look how many ambushes on police there are now where it's a fake call, and we respond because that's what we do. Yeah. And you get out of your, you step out of your car, even though, you know, and, and let's face it, the bad guys are learning our tactics more so than we're probably learning theirs right now. They know that if it's a domestic call, hey, that cop is going to stop probably a house or two down the road, maybe even a block down the road, and then walk up to the house. And I need to be aware of that. Uh, And and there's training manuals that have been found, I mean, that, that talk about police tactics and how to defeat police tactics. And unfortunately, we need to change our tactics to meet those tactics. And... We need to be proactive, and unfortunately, I think in law enforcement, we've always been a reactive aspect. Well, I mean, that's, I don't want to say that's the job, because I, I don't want to characterize it all as we do is sit back and wait, but a lot of what law enforcement is, um, is you get the call, and you respond to it, whatever it is. Oh, someone just, this just happened. Let's go try to stop it if we get there in time, or... Unfortunately, in a lot of cases, let's show up and investigate what just happened and file charges. And, I mean, you can't, we can't be everywhere. It's or, just, and I'm not saying that we have, you know, the, minor, the Minority Report. You seen that movie? I have seen that okay. movie. So, uh, if you haven't, good movie. Uh, future law enforcement, basically. Other and, than Tom Cruise is in yeah. it and he's crazy. But you get past that. Okay. So, I'm talking about, in general, the movie. Uh, you know... These psychics say, hey, this guy's going to kill this guy, yada, 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 and they go and they arrest him before it happens. That's not really what I'm saying. Not proactive in, as far as that nature. Uh, It'd be cool if it was. Well, it would be. Uh, but as far as tactics, as far as training, I'll even throw in the bad word of equipment. Let's equip our officers better. What? Yeah. You know, I, I remember that, uh, talking about equipment, and I know we're kind of getting off topic here, but uh, my very, very first patrol car, uh, I took in to get some work done on the radio, and the guy asked me what year I was born. And I told him, he's like, well, what month? And I told him, he goes, 
this radio is three months older than you are. <laughs> and I'm like, you're shitting me. And you're old. No shit. And, you know, communications being one thing, you know, body armor being another. I was fortunate enough, you were fortunate enough to be on a department that purchased body armor for you. Yes. Some don't. Some, Some you have don't. provide your own. You have to provide your own. And, you know, body armor is not cheap. And that's just soft body armor. Let's talk about rifle plates. Uh, not to, I mean, we'll go back to rifle plates, but I, I was reading a news article of a PD. It was a small PD. I want to say it was five members and a lot of them were reserve guys, but they were hot cotton armor, body armor. Um, You're I'm kidding saying, me. No, I, I'm not a military guy, but the hot cot is like in the military where you share a cot because of different shifts and you rotate in and out. They had one vest, and they would trade it off to whoever was working because they obviously didn't make a lot of money. Maybe they're all full-time. I don't know. But the whole department quit. Was I was reading the news article. I can't remember what, what state or what city it was in. But they were hot cotton body armor. And the whole department said, and, they, and the town board or city board, it was a small little burg or whatever, um, and they were asking to do dishonest things like run backgrounds on their political rivals or whatever you will call it. But the point is they were hot cotting body armor. And, and I'm assuming that all of these officers, however many it was, were the exact same size. Oh, of course. Exact same body oh, shape. Of course. And none of them sweated more than the other one. No, no. So could you imagine putting on a sweaty ass vest? And I'm a sweater. I'm a big guy. I've and I seen sweat. you sweat in the Standing dead of winter. Sti- yes. You want to put that thing on? You want to Hell climb no. into that sweaty? And my last department, I had outer armor. It wasn't the you know inside the shirt. It was the outside the shirt. And it would I would sweat through the shirt, and I it still got wet. The only nice thing about that, I'm not saying which way you should go either way, but you get in the office, you can take that son of a bitch off, throw it on the desk, and it airs out. Oh, that was so nice. But the point is they're hot. Hot cotting body armor. But anyway, rifle. You're talking about rifle plates. No rifle plate. I mean, you know these shootings now. The one in Louisiana, the one in Dallas, uh, countless others. Officers are going to these calls. The majority of them carry a sidearm and soft body armor, and we are going up against an individual that has some type of high-powered rifle, whether it's the dreaded black rifle uh oh yeah uh or you know whatever now we're not as equipped as our opponent is and that goes in with the training and the tactics is that we need to be equipped and i think that putting officers in some of these situations uh we're not doing them any justice part of the problem not getting political, but part of the problem is the outgoing administration, the media, and they're perpetuating this idea of a militarized police force that we're getting these armored vehicles and these automatic, I don't know if they're actually saying automatic rifles, but these assault rifles. I know that's the, that's the term that they like to use, the assault rifle from the military and why do we need these things, and yada, yada, yada. And we're not getting into background. We're kind of keeping 
our background's kind of quiet for now. Um, but I work in a different industry now than law enforcement, and it's kind of opened my eyes a little bit And that it, you could almost, I don't want to say blame Hollywood, you can blame Hollywood for a lot of stuff. But people, the majority of people, learn their firearms knowledge off of movies and TV, I've come to realize. They haven't said it, but people will, they know what my prior profession is. I don't hide it. I'm not embarrassed of it. And some people who I've developed a friendly rapport with, they're, they're good men and women, hardworking people. And they'll be like, you know, why did that cop shoot that guy five times? You know, why did he? And I, they get this idea through whatever that you pull your gun, your pistol, a very ineffective weapon that a firearm instructor told me when we were in the academy is a defensive, defensive weapon. That you should use to get back to your car to get your long gun. Which is your primary. Which is your primary. But that they think that you pull that gun out and you shoot somebody once and they just fall over and the threat's neutralized and you're just popping rounds off because you're trigger happy or you want to kill them. And it's not, I'm not blaming these people. But I think that's the problem is the majority of people buy into this idea where, and I've turned a few people around. One of them, a very liberal, nice lady, very liberal, very anti-gun, very... She didn't hate the police, but kind of like, why do they have to do this and why do they have to do that? And when I sat down and reasoned with her and explained how it really works, and I gave her some real-world examples of people getting shot, and they didn't... They they were still a threat. They They were clinically dead, and you could find several examples, but... They're clinically dead because the rounds were were fatal, but they weren't incapacitating, and they still were a threat. They were still able to fight or do whatever. And people are like, wow, I didn't know that. And so I think that's we're fighting against that. We're fighting against movies and TVs where you pull a pistol, you shoot a guy, he falls over, and you move on. And you know, and try not to be political, but even the politicians themselves uh, spread disinformation and bad information uh, to the public. Uh, I recall one of the uh, videos that I watched of a a representative out of California, I believe it was, uh, talking about ghost rifles and uh, (laughs) describing the dreaded black rifle and the ghost rifle and this and that. And Google it, watch it if you haven't watched it. It cracks me up to listen to this guy. But yet, the average citizen who is somewhat ignorant of weapons yes. is taking this guy who is a political figure, so you think he's smart, you think he knows what he's talking about. Not to say that they don't, because most of them do for the most part. Uh, I guess. <laughs> let's hope that they do. A few. A few. Uh, they take f- what he's saying as truth, and it's not. And it, it just it cracks me up. And like you, you know, how uh, the number of people that have come up to me and asked me questions about, you know, this rifle or that rifle or this pistol or that pistol, and you know, what happens with this and what happens with that, and it's just like, where did you get that from? And I think I get approached a little more because I'm not in uniform anymore, and I'm just I do the same job they do every day, and uh, I'm a pretty easygoing guy most of the time. And I think they feel that, okay. They don't know you very well, do they? They don't. No, I, I hide it very well. But I think they, they kind of, okay, I can. And they'll kind of open up a little bit, ask questions. And I'll be honest with them. 
and I'll tell them, you know, well, no, that's this or that. Um, but, you know, but the whole ghost rifle thing, if I know they sell, um, have you seen 80% lowers now? Yes. And you have to, you have to mill out the rest of it. Look up videos online, YouTube, get on the line, get on the YouTubes, and you look up 80, you know, milling out 80% lower and they'll do it in 12 minutes, like fast speed. And they'll show you how they, how they do it. And it is, it's pretty impressive. I can't do that. There's no way I could fucking mill out. Well, you have to drill press, and you have to be skilled with the tools. I could be wrong, but I believe that you have to have a CNC machine. And I've looked at those 80% lowers, uh, and and I could be wrong. From my understanding, you know, you don't have to put a serial number on it as long as you possess it. Yes, because you manufactured it. And if you manufacture and keep it for yourself, as long as you don't give it away, sell it, whatever. I'm not the ATF. Don't listen to me. I'm not giving legal advice. Neither am I. There's no legal advice here. Uh, But, you know, that's not a. That's not an easy thing to do, and you have to have the proper equipment to do it, Uh, especially, I mean, you know, it's not Joe Blow in his freaking garage with a drilling press and, you know, or even a hand drill drilling these things out. And let's say he actually does drill it out. Is it going to (laughs) work? Is it going to blow up in his face? Uh, I mean, you... I ain't going to try it. Watch the videos. If you haven't seen it, you got a minute. If you're interested, watch the videos because you're talking about specifications that are specific for a reason um hey if you've got the skills and i'm not talking about a guy that works with cnc machines and is and i say labor i don't say that in a derogatory way but is is skilled with those tools and can do that work yeah he could probably knock out you know however many a day or one a day and he can it'd probably be just as good as you could buy off the rack uh, from a professional rifle company and it's phenomenal good job but average joe blow citizen is not going to buy that 80% lower and make a ghost rifle and go out there. And how many people, in all honesty, if you have those type of skills and that type of time, are going to go out and do all that work just so you can go on a shooting spree? It ain't easier just to go steal one. And I think the video you're talking about, I think he actually holds up a billet of aluminum, like it just not an yeah. 80% lower. He does. But it's a billet of aluminum. <laughs> so it's not even like 80% finished, and you just got to knock out the other 20% so you legally can do it. We're talking a billet, which is just a a square or a rectangle block of aluminum. Like if you say, I need a piece of aluminum, and you go to a metal store, like Walmart sells metal on the shelves, I need a billet of aluminum. It's a fucking chunk of aluminum. And then you got to carefully, like, chip away and drill away down to a... I mean, think about it. Come on. Yeah, no, that that's the video. That's the video. And, and I get a kick. I've, I've watched it numerous times, and I get a kick out of it every single time I watch it. So. Hilarious. Let's move on to the second topic. All right. Uh, second topic. Uh, well, the former Chicago Police Department Superintendent, Gary McCarthy, claims that Black Lives Matter are responsible for the surge in violence. Uh, he may be on to something. He, he might be, you know. Uh, and, and I'm sure that there's a lot of people that, that don't like the former superintendent of Chicago PD. Uh, I'm sure of that. Uh, we all have our enemies. But uh, I think the man's got a point here. 
I think he might very well be onto something. And with the push in the, the Black Lives Matter, uh, it, it causes police officers to second-guess themselves at the times that they shouldn't second-guess themselves. Uh, and with that, it also causes police officers to maybe not patrol areas where they should be patrolling because why would I patrol that area if I'm just going to get a complaint for doing my job? For doing what I'm supposed to be doing, I'm going to get a complaint. Here comes a disclaimer. Yes, black lives do matter. They just do. Just like all lives matter. But when you have a policy, maybe it's not a policy, but when you walk down the street protesting the police, saying things, and, and I'm not going to play it because you could find it, you know, wrap them in a blanket, fry them like bacon. What do we want? Dead cops. When do we want it now? White people get to the back of the line. You've had your time. You could find all this stuff on YouTube. You didn't have to look that hard. That, how is that helping law enforcement do their job? You're, you're having a confrontational situation, a confrontational environment where you have them against the police. And I'm not getting political, but when you again, when you have... A, the outgoing president claiming that you know cops make mistakes and cops shouldn't do this and cops shouldn't do that and most of the time taking the side of the suspect before the facts are in. Again, some cops make mistakes. I believe he called police stupid in yes. Newberry, Connecticut. You are correct. And I think that was before all the facts came out? That maybe? is before all the facts came out. And that's the problem. It's not that he's waiting for the facts. And he has a measured response, which is, yes, let's let's get all the information, let's stay calm, let's find out what's wrong, let's find out what happened, and then I will address it. That's fine, I get that. But he's not. He's automatically assuming he knows. Then you got the media, which is, you know, several sources of media who were jumping on and saying, oh, look at this terrible cop, and look what he did, and blah, 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 blah. So... Yes, these Black Lives Matter protesters are, I think, responsible, partially responsible for the surge in violence because, like you just said, causing cops to be less inclined to be proactive because they're not willing to deal with the consequences. Well, in, in law enforcement, and correct me if I'm wrong, uh, we've had almost two decades in law enforcement now. Uh yes. Yeah, time flies. Boy, does time fly. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I recall a time when we actively went out and beat the streets looking for crimes, looking for not necessarily somebody to take to jail. He's not saying we beat people. Yeah, no, I'm not saying that. You all know that I'm not saying that. Uh, but I'm sure somebody will say that that's what I was saying. But we, we went out, and we had fun, and we did our job. And what I feel, we probably went above and beyond what we were expected to do. Yes. And we had fun doing it. And now I see law enforcement taking a step back and saying, why should I take that extra step? Why should I go out and look for that person creating a crime when all I'm doing is getting a complaint, when all I'm doing is getting a protester, 
when now in my face saying that what I did was wrong when everything that I did was right, but they're still protesting against it. So why should I take that step? And why should I proactively go out and do something when I can be reactive and just take my calls of service? Well, I mean, you know, these cops, whether they're right or wrong, and in every case, you need to reserve judgment. This is my opinion. Reserve judgment till all the facts are in. Obviously, we're pro-police. We're more on the blue side than we are the other side. But at least try to wait for all the facts. Perfect example. Gary McCarthy is an old city of Chicago. I remember last year reading a news story. I don't know if you read it too. A female officer in Chicago being attacked by a much larger, stronger man. He's picking her up and he's slamming her head into the concrete. You know, later on, I've seen the report, cracked skull, bruising on the brain, I believe. You can look it up and find out. She knew that she was justified based off the department policy and procedure. Everything that's been set out that her life was in danger and she was totally justified pulling her firearm and shooting this guy. But she didn't. And she says in the news article that she didn't because... She didn't want to be all over the news because how many guys, how many cops, um, the Ferguson police officer, Darren, uh, I'm trying to draw like his last name. Anyway, his life's ruined now. But even though he did the right thing and he was clear. Darren Wilson. Darren Wilson. His life is now ruined because he's been escoriated in the news. And, oh, man, he's, you know, an evil person. And that's what was in her mind. Not that I'm going to die or I could die. I need to stop this guy from from killing me. I don't want to be that person. I don't want to be in the news. I would rather rather die than to have that type of scrutiny. I mean, that's a problem. It is. It is. And, and unfortunately, I think right now that's the way that we're leading. And that unless we, as a society, take control of that, that that is still going to be the path that we go down and that it's going to get a little bit worse before it gets better. I hope not. But it I, hope probably, not. I, I hope not. But you could be right. I mean... Well, you know, and that goes back to, to the way that we're training now, that, you know, when you and I went through 18 years ago, 19, 20 years ago, whatever oof. it was, uh, it was preached into us that we were warriors. And now it is guardians. And I'm not saying that, you know, warrior is bad and guardian is good or warrior's good and guardian's bad. But there's that fine line there that I, I think that the majority of law enforcement sees themselves as guardians. I, I truly do. I honestly believe that. I agree. And there's that fine line there that in an instant you have to switch from that guardian to that warrior because, albeit, I'm coming home. Oh, yeah. You're absolutely right. I mean, you have to have that mentality, I believe, at that point in time. Yes. Well, we are guardians. We're there to protect. We're there. I mean, uh, I know, I don't think still put on the cars where where you're at, wherever you're listening to this, protect and serve. And I'm not against protecting. Definitely. That's your job. It's serving. You're there to serve. You're the people of your community, wherever it is. Um, That is your job. But. You also have a, a, a duty to yourself and a duty to your family that you do have the right to go home at the end of your shift. And sometimes, I know it's, it's not politically correct to say, 
but sometimes you have to be violent and sometimes you have to use deadly force to stop somebody who is uh, trying to kill you. I, I would love, and I think you would too, to be able to show up to any scene and reason with the guy and him to say, you know what, you're right, and I'm going to change my ways, or you know, you're right. Please handcuff me and take me to jail. And you ne- you never have to go fit, get physical. You never have to get your uniform dirty. It's a polite society, and everyone does what they should. But there's people out there who do not abide by the rule of law. And it takes, I, I don't even know the quote, but it takes hard men to do a hard job to keep people safe at night. And that's, unf- it's true. And people, either they don't want to listen to it or they can't listen to it and they think that cops should be and they should be friendly and helpful but they can't understand why sometimes they have to be violent because it's a violent world now whether you say that's right or wrong i'll respect anyone who says i wish there wasn't any violence hell i wish there wasn't any violence but that's not the real world no it's not you know and that's you kind of have to change your your perspective, not necessarily your perspective, but your tactics and your methodology, uh, depending on the area that you're in. Uh, when we first came out, I recall somebody once telling me in the area that we worked that uh, you have to be able to learn to use 50 cent words with some people and $50 words with some people. Yes. And to distinguish who gets that word at that time, because if I'm using the $50 word with the 50 cent person, they're not going to understand what I'm saying. No. And they're not going to listen to me. No. And if I use that 50-cent word with the $50 person, then I'm getting a complaint. Yes. You know? So it's all free-flowing. Yes, it is. Uh, but uh, we need to not second-guess ourselves. We need to continue the fight, and we need to know that what we're doing is right, even though... Some individuals think that it's not. Uh, we will always respond. That will always help out, uh, regardless of what happens. And you know, going back to to the law enforcement shootings, you know, we are responding to these calls. We're we're protecting the protesters that are protesting against us, and yes. we're being shot. Yes. Uh, so. Like I said a few minutes ago, I fear that it's going to get a little bit worse before it gets better. I hope that it doesn't. I truly hope that it doesn't. Uh, and that's nothing into politics or anything of that nature. I believe that that's just the the society's view on law enforcement right now. That the the view on law enforcement is swinging a little to the neg and it's not the majority it's not the majority of society correct it's at an extremely small percentage of society but that small percentage is taking out quite a few of us and they're also i mean they're getting a loud a loud voice they're being heard more than a lot of the other people and i think what it comes to is is in my opinion i think the media and some people in politics, they're to blame because, you know, uh, going back in history, and uh, it probably happened all through time, but especially World War II where you, they, they, you have commercials or propaganda, we're going to call it this document, and you could go see it. And their goal was, before these men went over to these different countries and had to kill 
these other people, they did what they could propaganda-wise to make you think that they were evil subhumans that were no good and deserved to die. And now, some of the Nazis were evil subhumans. I mean, you're talking concentration camps and things like that. Those were not good people. But the, when you paint a whole group, a whole race of people as bad, then you, in someone's mind, think, oh, well, these are evil people. And when the media and politicians betray cops going out at night with, like, a tag, like a hunting tag, and they're hunting young black men for sport, and I've heard it referred to in that way. That I mean, if, if a purple aliens landed here today and started hunting humans, you'd be like, fuck them. I'm going to try to get them before they get me. So that's the mentality that's being drilled into people, into some of these people thinking, fuck these cops, they're trying to kill me. That, that's not the case. That is not the case. But when you think that, and so that's where, in my opinion, and this is just my opinion, politicians, certain politicians and the media, certain media outlets, not all of them, are complicit in this because they've sold this narrative for whatever reason that cops are out there intentionally trying to kill people, especially minorities. So... And, and, you know, like I said earlier, I, I truly believe that the majority of those in law enforcement are trying to do the right thing at the right time with the right intentions. Uh, yes, we're always going to have bad apples. You look at any profession, any profession, you're going to have a bad apple here and there. Uh, but for the majority of law enforcement, all good loving people, and uh, I think we're just being painted in a bad picture. Oh, yeah, we are. I mean, like you said, bad apples, every profession, every profession has guys and girls, men and women, who do things and they make mistakes and they're bad or whatever. And that's, maybe that gets highlighted in every profession, but this is one of those polarizing professions that people pay attention to. Um, and the majority, the great majority of men and women who put the badge and the uniform on and strap on that gun belt every day and go out there and protect and serve their local communities are getting painted in a negative light. Which brings, you know, which brings me to recruitment. I mean... Recruitment's down. Way down. Everywhere. Way Everywhere. Down. And so you're either not going to get enough people to fill your ranks or the people that you get are not going to... I should, but you're not going to get the type of people that you maybe before you had say 20 spots and you had a thousand people and you applied and you could really sort through and it's I mean it's you don't really know a person but you could hopefully sort through and get the best 20 candidates that you can regardless of race creed religion blah 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 all that stuff regardless of all that you get the best the cream rice to the top hopefully um but with the way recruitment is, there's probably good men and women out there who have considered law enforcement, who would be really good at it, bring the right mentality, could do the job right. And they're like, fuck that. Look, I'm not doing that. I'm going to go X, Y, Z. I'll go be an attorney. I'll go be a fucking doctor. I'll go be something else that's not getting shit on. Hell, go, I'm, not, I'm not saying go be good during the military. And I'm glad, but the love of the military is, is up a lot now. A lot of, hey, thanks for your service, which it should be. It really should be. Military yes. deserves it. But, I mean, would you want to go to a profession now that everyone shits on you and everyone records everything, which 
I'm not against being recorded. I'm not saying we were doing shady shit that sh- that was, oh, I've had a recorder. Uh, but, I mean, everything you do is scrutinized. Everything. And every media story is 99% negative how a bad cop did a bad thing. So, yeah. So, I hopefully it turns around and we can start getting good men and women back into law enforcement where they belong. And they can, you know, protect and serve. So. I think we will, and like like I said, we will eventually. But we, we've got good people in law enforcement. It's it's just the few bad apples. Yes. Which brings us to the next topic. To the <laughs> bad apples, huh? Uh well, apparently, up in good old Michigan, the great state of Michigan, specifically Wayne County, the sheriff's office up there, there's a male police officer filed a complaint that he was sexually harassed by a female supervisor. Um, Officer Philip Kozlowski, 53, I guess I'll throw his name out there because it's in the news, um, was allegedly, I don't know what his rank was in a supervisor's rank, but he had a female supervisor who apparently was trying to get in between the sheets. And, you know, I I remember doing the research on this topic a little bit that uh, he actually... I think he took a pay cut for for something here that he uh, he filed the complaint and the department kind of tried to sweep it underneath the rug a little bit. And mm. then I believe that they demoted him maybe or moved him to a different area. And uh, I want to say he took a pay cut now that I think about it of uh, a substantial pay cut of like almost $10,000 when I was doing the research. Wow. Uh, but, you know, when I was doing this research... I tried I was compelled by this topic uh and sexual harassment is bad wrong it should not take place in the work environment it should not take place in any environment uh but I was compelled when when I saw this topic to attempt to find out what the female supervisor looked like uh and I could not find a single photograph of her in any of the articles that I read, but I found numerous photographs of the officer, the male officer, in these articles, uh, which that just struck me odd. Uh, well, I mean, uh, maybe they're protecting her identity. Maybe, um, I don't know. I mean, again, sexual harassment is wrong. It's a bad thing. You should never have someone in a position of authority where you feel forced to engage in any type of conduct that is unprofessional, including he was offered, he's a married man, apparently he was offered a three-way, him, his wife, and this lady, and it's all bad. It's all wrong. But then you got guys in the department who quote-unquote told him to take one for the team. And while I do not agree with that sentiment, I do find it humorous because, let's be honest, guys are guys, and cops are, guy cops are guy cops. And a lot of cops are type A personality, and we we fucking bust each other's balls. All the time, and I'm sure, you know, and we've never really had a lot of female officers around us in our career. I can only, not too many, a few. I can only think of maybe three or four uh, in this area. Yeah. Uh, and one of them I know for a fact would bust our balls just as hard as we would do each other. Oh, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. 
same type know, of mentality we had. Exactly. Uh, and, and, you know, I can honestly say this. Uh, I know that you were uh, somewhat harassed, not in a sexual manner. Thank God. Uh, it was, again, this is one of these pictures you wouldn't want to find on the Internet. <laughs> Unless you go into those really dark corners, and I don't judge, but uh, you don't want to go there. Really, really dark corners. Oh, yeah. Uh, but, you know, if you were sexually harassed in a manner like this, I would probably give you a hard time. As you should. As a friend. Uh, and I'll say this, I would probably give you a hard time in a joking manner, but if I thought that you were... distraught over it uh or i thought that it was affecting you uh in a a more negative way than just you know kind of ribbing it uh that i would do something about it and i believe that uh in this incident that he took it to his chain of command and he uh he expressed his desires and his problems and whatnot, and they kind of tried to sweep it underneath the rug, like I said earlier. And, and that's bad. And it is bad. And, and, you know, some of his friends for saying, you know, hey, take one for the team, uh, like I said, I'd probably do the same thing to you, man. Oh, hey, yes. Just... Take one for the team. But on that, I think, you know, after – if it continued, and obviously it did with this incident, that uh, I would – I would step up to the plate and say, hey, look, I would go to the chain of command and say, hey, look, this is going on. We need to do something about it. Uh, it's now affecting, you know, this and that and whatnot, uh, because this sounded this sounds like it was a long term ongoing uh, harassment. And this wasn't just a one time comment know, like, hey, you know, if you ever want to bump uglies or whatever. But we, you know, we both know, and we work with some savages, some interesting guys, and they would have probably, regardless of what that picture would have looked like, been all over that. And you, you guys out there, guys and girls out there listening, I guarantee you got someone on your department, and you're thinking of them right now, and you know that they would, regardless, if it's got a pulse, and it wears a skirt, so to speak, they're there. You know, and I think uh, one of the uh, one of the internal guys I, I recall once saying that uh, there were three things that got police officers in trouble. It's now four things, but it originally used to be three things, and it was women, yeah, guns, mm, yeah, and alcohol, yeah. Those were the three things that got people into trouble. Three of the finer things in life. And then there was a fourth one now that was making it there. And, and it's all in the same. It's now women, guns, alcohol, and men because there's more women in law enforcement. Oh, there you go. And this is a prime example here that this female supervisor yeah, saw something that she wanted yeah. and, uh, you know, went the wrong way about it. So, or, or man on man, I don't care. Whatever you do in the I, privacy of your own home is your business. But the point is, if you're at work, you should probably keep it professional. You should probably keep it professional. I'm just most definitely. There. I mean, hey, 
but it is a little funny. And where's the recordings on this, man? Because we all know that everything's being recorded nowadays. That's true. Uh, you never know. Maybe he's got a recording. I mean, if it was constant, maybe he fired up a little... Well, you got voice memo on your cell phone now. You just turn yeah. it on. A little digital recorder. 20 bucks. little tape recorder, whatever it is. You hit it and throw it in your pocket. And so, uh, what's going on? Oh, you want to... You know, she's like, you want to fuck? <laughs> and you're like, oh... I don't know. Of course, maybe she's a little more subtle than I am, but... Uh, sorry, I have a headache. Yeah, sorry, I have a headache. That sounds like my uh, Saturday night uh, at home. Um. All right, moving along. Since we're going to probably get complaints on that one. Uh, I'd like to discuss the picture that was hung and removed from Congress. Not just any picture, but I think we know what it is. The picture that depicted cops as pigs. Yeah, an interesting picture to say the least. And I understand that uh, this was a uh, an art fair or something that you know it won it won out of uh, the St. Louis, Missouri area with Representative Clay uh, bringing it to the halls of Congress. Uh, and you know, yeah, it says it was a high. Uh, you're correct, a high school art contest. I I think the interesting issue that I have with it, and you might not think that it's interesting, uh, but all the controversy is over the fact that it depicts law enforcement as pigs. Uh, And I believe that there's a predominant animal other than pigs that is in this painting that nobody has seemed to bring up. And I believe, it looks like to me, I shall say, that it is a Black Panther with its arm up in the air with a fist closed in front of law enforcement. I, I could be wrong, but that's what it looks like to me. I, um, I've never been around in the wild. Do Black Panthers usually strut around and throw a paw up in the air? Or am I... I've oh, you're it. talking about the other Black Panthers. Yeah, you know... Uh, and from my understanding, uh, law enforcement and the Black Panthers, you know, kind of on the opposite sides kinda. of the law, kinda. so to speak. And, uh, but nobody seemed to bring that up. Uh, well. And, you know, I, and I have, to, I have to hand it to uh, Representative Hunter for taking down the, uh, the painting, uh, who's a combat veteran that I might add, uh, a hero in my book at this point in time. Thank you for your service. Thank you very much. And that, uh, you know, he took it down. And what I found very, very interesting uh, is that Representative Clay then went to the Capitol Police and asked the Capitol Police to basically file charges and arrest Representative Hunter for theft of the painting and that the Capitol Police... uh, somewhat chuckled and uh, ignored Representative Clay in a roundabout way, is what I believe happened. Uh, Needless to say, there were no charges filed. There was no arrest, no nothing. Uh, But this goes back to, you hate me. You want absolutely nothing to do with me. You think that I shouldn't exist, but yet when you need me, you call me and you expect me to do everything at your beck and call. What I find interesting, maybe even scary, is in the news article, uh, 
Representative Hunter, again, a hero in my book, not just for his military service, but for what he did here. After unscrewed it, he delivered it to the office of Representative Clay. I'm no lawyer, and I'm definitely not a lawmaker, hint, hint, lawmaker, but I think that theft does not cover taking something down and returning it. So a person who's responsible for making our laws, voting on our laws, proposing legislation that affects potentially everyone, is claiming theft of something that was removed and returned? Well, you know, and they also talk about this, and you're absolutely right, absolutely right. And they talk about this being, well, it's the First Amendment, you know, freedom of speech. Uh, And I'll give the young man that painted this picture, it's his freedom of speech to paint the picture that he wants. Absolutely. To display it where he wants, but the halls of Congress are not the place to do it. And that, from my understanding that the rules and regulations that pertain to paintings and artwork in the halls of Congress, uh, that this does not meet the standards for those, and that that was one of the reasons, again, why it was removed. I mean, maybe uh, it's been tarnished recently, um, but I would consider uh, our capital... The White House, uh, these Capitol buildings where, you know, great men, in my opinion, created this country. I would maybe not in those halls. I know they were built after the fact, but hallowed halls, places that are, in my opinion, designed to create unity, designed to bring people together. Um, I would hope and it's kind of divisive um, to hang this up. I mean, if, again, like you said, I believe this this young man or woman, I'm not even sure who, this high school student has a 110% First Amendment right to paint this, even though I find it offensive and it, and it bothers me. Good for you. You can do it. Hang it up anywhere you want. You can make it into a flag, fly it from your house, put it on a billboard. I don't care. That's your right. Stick it on the front of your house. You have a right to do it. But I think the halls of Congress is a, I still hope, a hallowed place where we should strive to bring unity instead of... And and, um, I'll throw this out here. There's a lot of um, negative connotations with certain minority groups, animals you could compare them to, and I don't condone that. But if someone were to paint a picture of that and try to hang it up with this Mr. Clay, this Representative Clay be defending my First Amendment right to do that? I'm sure he would. Oh, I'm sure he would. I'm, I'm sure, sure he, he would. would. I'm sure he would. So that's that's my contention. I think that if you're going to... If you're going to have something up in a hallowed place like that, it should be respectful and try to bring unity and not cause division. That's just my opinion. And that's just an opinion. Oh. I guess moving on, um, I guess we want to kind of get into the fringe of law enforcement, kind of, the shooting in Florida, the airport at Fort Lauderdale, and uh, it happened to occur in what sometimes gets referred to as gun-free zones. 
Yeah, I think that's a misnomer. I think it should be something along the lines of high target area, something of that nature. Same difference. Uh, you know, because truly, you know, and from my understanding, this gentleman, he, he did everything the proper way. I believe he was flying from Alaska to Florida, I think it was. I think that's right. You know, checked it like he was supposed to, unloaded, whatnot, walks into the bathroom, loads it, comes out, starts shooting, runs dry, and then lays down and waits for law enforcement. Uh, Obviously, I think that he probably had this planned out from when he got on the plane. Yes. Uh, You know, he did everything right. He knew that he was entering what was supposed to be a gun-free zone. Um and I'm sure that there are some, you know, he did it right. He he checked it. It was in his bag. Did he violate the law when he brought it out? Yes, I'm sure he probably did. I don't know Florida law. Uh, if you all are in Florida, and he, I'm, I'm sure that he violated it by bringing it out in, in this quote-unquote gun-free zone. Did they have any, I wonder if they had any signs up. Like, did he know he was breaking the law? Because I'm sure that if he did, he probably wouldn't have done it. Yeah, I mean, you know, most criminals they like to follow the law, and and you know, I'm sure that you know he's somewhat uh, mentally disturbed. I mean, there's a good possibility. Uh, I think that that might be a possibility. I'm not a medical professional, uh, but I think you might be onto something. <laughs> I think that uh, he uh, he planned this though, knowing that of course that there weren't going to be any guns there. Uh, if there's not going to be any guns there, I'm not going to have to worry about being shot at, you know? Exactly. And I'm sure that he probably came out of that bathroom, took a look around before he started shooting, because I would be willing to bet that if there was a law enforcement officer or if there was, you know, armed security or whatever was standing in the area, he probably wouldn't have done it. Uh, and, you know, I don't know the numbers on this, do you happen to have how many people he shot? I don't. Oh. Re- I don't recall it. If you want to look it up real quick, uh, but you know, once he started shooting, if there had been a concealed carry holder in the area, how long would it have lasted then? Oh, because you know, most of these active shooter, what we call active shooter incidences, uh, active killing taking place they generally stop once they're confronted whether it be by law enforcement or by an armed citizen they generally stop as much as i'm a big fan of bro science um five killed eight wounded and he only stopped in this case because he ran out of ammo so kind of to your point um it's kind of a, I mean, this one's a, a a little grayer only because I don't think you should have people, you know, strapping on their their hog leg or, or, or whatever you want to call it and climbing on a plane and, and riding a plane with a gun uh, on them. That you could know, potentially end those up. Those little aluminum planes, you know, situation. and bullets, those could go bad. Um, but on the other hand, when you have an area, uh, a soft target, that's quite frankly what it is. And you know... I mean, think about it. If you're going to go, and we're preaching to the choir here, but if you're going to go shoot somebody, are you going to go over here where you know they're going to shoot back at you? 
or are you going to go over here where you know they're not going to shoot back at you? And if you're serious about, and again, he probably has some mental issues, but if you're looking to inflict maximum casualties, like this guy obviously was, and how most crazy active shooters are, you're going to go to the place that has no firearms, that is less defended, and that's where you're going to go. I mean, Adam Lanza, I believe that's the, the psychopath name that did the Batman shooting up in uh, Aurora, Colorado. No, Adam Lanza was uh, the kindergartner. Kindergarten. Name. Okay, so it's the, the guy at the Batman shooter, the, the, the Joker guy. He, they have information, you can look it up, that he researched the different movie theaters and he was looking to see which ones had a policy on you couldn't bring a firearm in and which ones you could. And that he based it off of that's how he picked his target. I mean, so crazy, yeah. Stupid, not so much. Yeah, you know, and you said soft target there. I mean, soft target versus hard target. I mean, it's not rocket science. Which one am I going to want to pick if I'm a bad guy? Yes. You know, I'm going to want to pick a soft target. Why would I pick a hard target? Uh, You know, and even these active shooters or these, you know, ambushes uh, on law enforcement. Yeah, law enforcement, I perceive law enforcement as a hard target. Uh, But they are effectively doing it, utilizing ambush-type tactics. They're effectively using tactics that they've learned for some of them while in the military uh, because I believe that you know even the one in Florida the one in Dallas uh, the one in I believe the one in Louisiana was also a service member at one point in time Uh, they're effectively using these tactics that they've learned you know and if they weren't service members I'm sure that they've probably gone online or whatnot and figured out what kind of tactics we use and they're using it against us and though we are hard targets i think we need to become harder targets uh through our tactics our training and our equipment i agree i completely agree and i think well and i think the uh the dallas shooter um i'm pretty sure that he uh i read somewhere that he went to a uh like a local uh firearms trainer and he received some training. He received some training there on, uh, you know, more tactics, um, on on how to better utilize his firearms. And uh, so, I mean, there's other training out there. I'm not saying they shouldn't. There shouldn't be other training, but I don't know. I don't even know where I was going with that. But the point, I guess, the point is, is that. People are going to start using these tactics and and things against us, and you know either military or otherwise, and learning it from from different people. Um, I mean, and they're going to start using it against us, like we talked about earlier. Yeah, and that's we in law enforcement need to make sure that we continue our training. And if you are not a student of tactics. You really need to become one. Uh, gone are the days where, you know, we are... Gone are the days where we served and protect by going out and talking to the local farmer or talking to the, you know, curbside business guy, whether, you know, it's his produce stand or, you know, the hot dog vendor or whatever. 
gone are those days where, you know, we've been able to sit there and talk with them and not have to worry about what's over our shoulder. We're going to have to have our heads on a swivel and we're going to have to watch out for everything now. Looking down in Texas when the when the officer was pumping gas, you know? Yeah. And the guy come up behind him and shot him in the back of the head. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, was it Minnesota, Wisconsin, somewhere up north? The officer was sitting on a street corner watching traffic, doing reports, whatever it is. Somebody came up behind him and shot him. And they waited for other cops to show up and try to shoot and shot them. I mean, yep. so. Happened in Philadelphia? Yes. Yeah, recent. Yeah. Luckily, he was, uh, so. that officer didn't die. He was able to turn fire and stop the suspect. Yep, yep. Um, so hopefully your department is taking initiative and changing tactics. If they're not, if they're not, maybe folks, you could be the the instrument of change. Encourage it, some of these things. Encourage it, and if not, seek training on your own. I and I know that when I say that, that training is expensive. Uh, do the best that you can. If if nothing else, get with another officer. You know, uh, back in the day, you know, we used to paintball Yep. in December, yep. cold as cold as hell. Fuck. It hurt. We live in an area where it gets cold in December. And we, you know, a bunch of us guys got together to have fun and we had fun, but that was also some good training. It was. Uh, you know, and, and you learn just from things like that. Uh, so you don't have to go out and pay, you know, five, six hundred dollars for, you know, a three-day course or a five-day course. Uh, and be careful when you go to things like that. And, and do your research because, you know, some of those some of those uh, fly-by-night companies out there, and I'm not going to mention any companies, uh, but some of them teach bad habits. Yes. Some of them teach really good tactical skills. Uh, but do your research. Figure out which ones are best for you. Uh, and seek some additional training because we're at the the age now where you're going to have to uh, because I feel that we're behind the power curve and uh, we need to take it upon ourselves to get that training. Yeah, there's some, there's some, yeah, research, research, research. There's some great places out there. There's some great resources. There's some, you know, ex-military or current or former law enforcement officers. Maybe there's some training that you can take. And maybe if you, you know, if you're able to take that training, bring it back. And if you got, you know, a group of guys that you normally work with who are receptive, maybe show them what you learn and help them out. I mean, yeah, you spent the money, but, you know, we're all here on the same team. We're all trying to help each other. So, you know, help a brother out, so to speak. Help a sister, sister out. Um, you know, that way, I because mean, you... You don't want to go to another funeral if you can help it. You don't want to hear those bagpipes again. You don't want to see a guy, a buddy, even maybe somebody you don't know very well. You don't want to bury him. I mean, so. You know, and that, that bring. I was actually asked the other day how many fu- how many police funerals I've been to. And uh, I think that they were shocked when I actually told them the number. I could see and that. And I think that when I sat there and I told them that I lost three of my academy classmates, one a roommate, that they were really shocked. And then I told them 
some of the other issues that some of our other academy classmates had had yeah uh, that they were they were surprised and they were shocked that that's that that had transpired that you know well that doesn't happen well it does it does and you know unfortunately it's happening more and more so you know seek the training be safe uh go home every night because then you know that's that's the job that you have to do you have to come home every night so yeah well uh i guess thanks for joining us on this uh first episode uh, if you listen this far then you either liked it or you're a glutton for punishment um and i guess uh we're gonna try to leave you on a quote but if you want to get a hold of us uh just tell us how great we're doing or to complain and do do that you know let us know how we're doing let us know uh what you'd like to see done differently let us know what you liked they send so. us some you know emails we can maybe answer some questions we probably don't have the answers but we'll take any input you can give and uh we got a we got a website on the line uh the org, just the law dogs one word dot org um you can email us from that website or you can email us directly to the law dogs at outlook.com it's just the law dogs at sign outlook.com and uh, i guess we'll leave you on this a little closing quote from sir winston churchill not an american but a great man and he said when the battle drum beats it is too late to sharpen your sword truer words all right well i'm cory i'm des and we'll catch you later